0: This is Law in the Time of COVID 19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. How do you launch a business from lockdown? We'll hear from two entrepreneurs about how they've pivoted during a pandemic. Law in the Time of COVID 19 explores the law and policy of pandemic response. We're looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. And because it wouldn't be a law firm podcast without a disclaimer, Here's a disclaimer. McCarthy Tatro is providing this podcast as a public service, if we may say so ourselves. It may contain legal information, but it does not contain legal advice or a legal opinion, recommendation, or statement of policy of McCarthy Tatro. Here's our episode Startups in a Shutdown. MT Ventures is a division of McCarthy Tatro that focuses on startups scale-ups, and other fast-growth businesses. It's led by Alia Ramji, a partner in our firm's business law group in Toronto. You're about to hear a conversation between Alia and leaders at two high-potential businesses about what COVID-19 has meant for their best-laid plans, about how persevering through a pandemic has made them more resilient, and about how the experience of the past year has changed how they develop and implement long-term strategies. Richard Steiner is head of policy and communications at GATIC, an autonomous technology company that provides short-haul business-to-business logistics for the retail industry. And Derek Sito is the co-founder of Walnut, a digital life insurance platform. They spoke on Wednesday, February 3rd.
1: Hi, Richard. Hi, Derek. It's so great to have you here with us today on our COVID podcast. Um, Thank you for being here.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for uh, having us. Really appreciate it.
1: I'm excited to talk about your startups and the roles you play at your different companies. And so, you know, we only have a, a limited amount of time. So why don't we dive right in? Um, can uh, Can you tell us about your startups and 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 what you're doing there right now? Um, I'll, I'll throw it over to Richard first.
2: Absolutely. Uh, so, Rich Dina, head of policy and communications at Gadic. We're an autonomous technology company um, founded in 2017. We've got offices in Palo Alto and Toronto. We focus on business to business, short haul logistics for the retail industry. Uh, more specifically uh, we've got a fleet of 11 to 26 foot autonomous box trucks that move goods along the middle mile what that means is from micro fulfillment centers and dark stores to pickup points such as uh, retail stores and other distribution centers um what do we offer um we really help to over optimize the supply chain uh, we reduce costs on behalf of the customers that we work with keep delivery time short and uh, not least in the light of a pandemic we help to meet uh, an un precedented expectation for contactless delivery.
1: Thank you, that sounds amazing. And and, and during the pandemic, I can only imagine how important it has been to optimize the supply chain. Derek, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing?
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Derek Zito. I'm one of the co-founders of Walnut. It's at GoWalnut.com if you want to check it out. Um, We're building a platform for life insurance as a premium membership. Um, so the idea is that life insurance can be as easy as picking a tier of Netflix. It doesn't have to be, you know, half an hour, or an hour with a person in front of you. We want to make it easy. We want to make it digital. And we want to give consumers value today in addition to that peace of mind value tomorrow. So we will build a membership bundle that includes both term life insurance and value to help people protect their digital identity, to help them with physical fitness, and help them with uh, mental wellness as well. Um, we have partners that uh, we're lining up for those that we can't reveal quite yet, um, but you'll get a ton of value for what is really a simple experience to be able to purchase Term Life Online. That's that's
1: an incredible new model and it's going to disrupt the industry um, very much so. I can only imagine the big insurers that are looking at what's going on in the industry. So both of you are in, in the uh, in the business of disrupting Um, technology and industry. And uh, both of your companies have survived COVID. um, So congratulations or thrived during COVID. Um, So I was wondering how did your company's goals and strategy change um, in March when the pandemic hit? And I think, Richard, I I think that question is more for you because um, as, as we'll hear from Derek, his company started in the midst of COVID. So how did your goals and strategies change when COVID hit?
2: So yeah, it's a good question. I I wouldn't say that there was a fundamental shift in strategy as such. Uh, We had set about to solve a specific problem with our autonomous solution, which is addressing critical industry pain points along the middle mile, which is the most complicated and, expensive part of the supply chain for for retailers to contend with so e-commerce has been booming for some time prior to the onset of the pandemic uh, what we've seen in relation to that is micro fulfillment centers and dark stores moving closer and closer to consumers so that the big retailers can meet consumer need with the onset of the pandemic this Exploded, it grew exponentially, and so you know our operations uh, were required to grow with it. So, I would say rather than a fundamental strategy change, uh, we grew quickly to respond to our customers' needs. I mean, we saw approximately a 30 to 35 percent increase in orders from our existing customers, we saw a huge amount of increase in interest from new customers. So there was a lot going on for us. Um, you know, we, the way we see it, we feel very privileged to be part of the solution as far as COVID nineteen is concerned. Uh, so we really had to move quickly uh, to meet our customers' uh, our customers' needs. We're deemed essential business as far as the operations are concerned uh, in terms of transporting essential goods to people that needed them. Of course, we had to move very, very fast to put. Uh, policies and protocols in place as far as COVID-19 is concerned. But uh, yeah, I, the best way I could uh, answer that question is is with expansion mode. We we grew very, very quickly and aggressively to meet our customers' needs. So uh, yeah, we, we've been busy.
1: And, and has that busyness been just on the Canadian side of the border? Or do you see um, uptake on the US side of the border? Is it is it everywhere in the world?
2: Right right, right. the way across North America where we operate. So um, in terms of publicly announced customers I can speak to and happy to to, to talk about today, uh, we've been operating with Walmart since June of 2019 in the United States. And uh, as you probably know from the press, we we announced our, our partnership with with Loblaw, Canada's first autonomous delivery fleet uh, we announced in November. Um, so it's been busy, very, very busy on both sides of the border um, in, in terms of uh, getting essential supplies to, to the folks that need them.
1: And and, and Derek, you guys have been busy as well um, launching Walnut in the midst of the pandemic. So tell me, you know, how how do you create any kind of long-term plan for a company in the midst of a pandemic when you're starting your business uh, right smack dab in the middle of uh, COVID-19?
3: Yeah, um, we founded the business in May 2020. We were certainly thinking a bit about uh, the business prior to that. I would say many months well before um, the COVID era. Um, so what's really interesting that sort of happened that we didn't expect is to help us answer this question of, you know, why now? Um, so one, actually life insurance purchases, especially online, as you would imagine, have actually gone up dramatically um, during the pandemic. One, people don't necessarily want to sit face to face with an agent, which is the traditional way that people bought life insurance um, in the past. So it's already going much more digital. Two. Um, people who you know probably did not think about death and you know ever, and that's our target—more of this millennial, younger generation, trying to be able to give them entry-level coverage and grow with them over time. Um, they were not thinking about death before, but during COVID, you know, everybody's thinking about death. So there's lots of data out there, industry-wide, that younger folks have an intent to and have been purchasing um, more so than ever before, um, and that their predominant channel is online. So for us, it really was a reinforcement, acceleration of what we were trying to do. Um, at the same time, like structurally very different. Um, My co-founder, Adrian, um, you know, we met in Toronto. Um, We planned to build business um, in Toronto, but because of COVID, he actually went and moved out west to Kelowna. Um, So we are very much a remote-first company Um, that has, you know, a totally different dynamic. This is the first time I've built a company from scratch uh, remote-first, and I would say if it wasn't for the pandemic, that would probably not be the case. Um, But we're happy to um have the clarity actually to um, be able to say, Hey, we started remote first, we're building remote first um, from the beginning. So um, it's a dramatically sort of different um you know operating model, but also, I think allows us to um, view this as a much more international business, to be viewed as um, international earlier than we might otherwise have considered it.
1: It's really interesting that you're a remote first business and you created a business, in the midst of the pandemic and Derek you've built businesses before this is not your first foray into entrepreneurship or into startups in Canada by any stretch of the imagination, but this was your first time. Um, the start a startup based a pandemic and and all startups face challenging times, uh, can you tell me what some of the lessons you've learned you and your team have learned through COVID that will carry your startup through challenging times moving forward.
3: Yeah, I, I can start. Um, so, you know, for us, it's back to this notion of like, you know, what's the customer need? Um, so what we've seen uh, sort of develop in uh, the COVID era, as everybody's like, you know, stuck at home, like, you know, I think one key piece, uh, for instance, is like mental illness. Um, you know, maybe that would not have been as much of a focus um, in the past before. But now it, it comes up like more and more prevalent in the conversation that we're having. Cybersecurity is another one, um, to the extent that people are you know having safe security practices for their personal lives actually helps a lot as everybody is working from home and protects the business as well. So there are some things that we're doing in the cyber insurance space um, that we would have otherwise not um, probably touched as early in the cycle. Um, but in general, I would say that you, know, you can't predict things like the pandemic. So early stage companies um, you know, always pivot and move around. And that was my experience in the past as well. Um, so being able to be nimble um, and I, and thinking about these also as opportunities, I think there's lots of data out there that says um, some of the most interesting, largest, um, you know, companies that are and like the Airbnbs of today, they were started during these recession periods, started during you know bust periods. Um, so when everything is changing, this is the time for entrepreneurship. This is the time to be able to go and create new habits for people. Um, you know, I, I know myself, like, you know, I have not stepped in the to a grocery store probably for the last three to six months, because now I'm getting Instacart delivering everything. And these are going to be habits that extend beyond the pandemic. Um, and so how do we sort of play into some of the existing and growing trends um, that are sort of caused by um, these third party events that you're not going to be able to control anyways.
1: And Richard, your business was already, you know, growing before the pandemic started. So, what are some of the the lessons you and your team have learned um, that you will that you will use going forward through other challenging times?
2: Yeah, I would build upon um, what we've just heard from Derek, which is really focusing on solving a problem which exists. And uh, one thing that we've always had at the heart of our operations, at our core, is being intensely customer driven and customer focused uh, so responding to customer needs is is really at the really at the the center of everything that we do so when the pandemic hit uh, we worked very, very closely with our customers to ensure that we were addressing their newfound needs, as far as meeting the needs of their consumers was concerned. So this required, you know, a huge amount of uh, you know, operational discussions to ensure that we were able to meet the uptick that they were seeing from their consumers, um, and uh, a lot of work on our part to ensure that we were over-optimizing uh, the routes in a way that uh, that met that demand. So it's really, it's really a question of you know identifying identifying a problem to solve and and that was something which our founders had in mind uh, back in 2017 uh, when when GALIC was created. It was let's look at the most complicated, expensive part of the supply chain, and let's find an, uh, and let's find a way to solve that. So in terms of general autonomy, and to take a sort of step back and look at the field in which we operate here, um, you know, frankly, and uh, this is something we like to say, we, we we don't care if level five is is solved. What we're focusing on is solving for the middle mile with our autonomous solution, and that's something which has been able to allow us to bring a product to market very, very quickly. We operate exclusively on fixed routes that's point to point. Um, so what we call constrained level four autonomy, and this is why we've been able to get you know some of the biggest customers uh, out there um, you know to date, we've we've actually delivered over uh, 45,000 autonomous deliveries, and it's it's been something which has added immediate value to our customers. And so, again, coming back to uh, to Derek's point, it's all about identifying a, a challenge and then and 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 then solving for that. And the pandemic, I think, has really brought a landscape in which innovation can come to the fore. We saw a huge increase uh, in interest from customers that may not before the pandemic have thought they were perhaps ready. Uh, to automating uh, the on-road transportation portion of their networks, um, and then realized with the onset of the pandemic, it was time to start having those discussions. So it's um, as as much as there have been countless challenges um, and difficulties associated with the pandemic, it's definitely been uh, a breeding ground, if you like, to to look at creative and innovative ways to solve the problems that it's brought.
1: Both of you have have focused um, on your customer needs and and how the customer must be vital to whatever you're doing, whether it's pivoting your business or focusing your business over the course of uh, the last year or so. And so how do you ensure that your business will be something that will be necessary post COVID um, when you're focusing on the customer needs for today?
3: Yeah, I can start with that. Um, you know, I, I think you know when, when you're building a startup, um, you know, I think the idea uh, traditionally is to try to build into growing markets. Um, you know, what we're doing, um, you know, with life insurance is sort of interesting in that you know life insurance has been around you know forever. Um, so it's actually been on somewhat of a decline, especially for the demographic that we're going after, which is the younger uh, set, millennials. Um, and so forth. Um, so our goal is to help accelerate um, the transition to digital. Um, we think there's lots of buyers that would purchase today if it was made easier um, and provided with more value. Um, so we're trying to play into you know the trends that exist. And if you look at um, you know events like COVID, it's you know, trying to map out what is the impact um, on the trajectory of something like you know digital um, you know life insurance digitization, um, it's only going to accelerate. So people that were thinking about and maybe um, considering what they might want to do to digitize faster, especially on the insurer side, um, you know, now because of COVID, because they can't have those face-to-face interactions, um, they're going to accelerate. New habits are going to get created. um, And so we can play into a growing market and the data is there to support that, you know, search volume, um, you know, from even existing um, channels are already up. Um, and how do we create new products that sort of fit into this post-pandemic structure?
2: For for us, I would say um, what's been really critical uh, since since the outset of uh, our company, and never more so now strategic partnerships. So what what I mean by that is, you know, we have we have some huge customers uh, and additional customers signed which I won't be able to speak to today. Um, but it's really important for us to work with the right folks uh, who share our strategic vision long term. Um, in terms of the, that partnership development, it's really, really critical to help us grow in the right way for the future. I'd say that first off. Um, second, I'd also say that in terms of contactless delivery, this is something which we are now seeing as fundamental to the way in which um, consumers are, are, are starting to expect uh, goods delivery to, to take place. Um, so there's, you know, there's been a real need for the solution that we offer. And finally, um, and, and to speak a little bit about the, the role that I have at GATIC specifically working in policy, it's a very, very interesting policy policy landscape to operate in, Uh, in in Canada, uh, autonomous vehicle legislation and and, and regulations are uh, are done at the provincial level, um, and same in the US, state by state. So there's a a host of different approaches taken by different jurisdictions in which we operate. readiness for new deployments in new markets, which we are about to enter ensuring that we're set up for success uh, with our long-term business strategy has been, uh, has been something we've been working very, very closely on so that we're well positioned over the next three to five years um, to deploy successfully.
1: Richard, you said something interesting about strategic par- partnerships and being ready for new opportunities and, and creating long-term plans. Should startups be creating long-term plans? Is that is that something um, startups can do, and should they be doing that, or or should they be looking at short-term goals?
2: I, c- I can see Derek smiling there. I'm also smiling. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure there's a perfect answer to that question, but I'll give you, I'll give you my two cents on it. The rate at which we are growing, um, we've, we've, doubled, we've doubled our team size in the past six to 12 months, which we expect to double our team size again in the next six to 12 months. It's really been a period of rapid, rapid expansion. There's so much happening for us. This was, this was, this was the case before COVID and COVID has just, you know, really sort of, uh, you know, shot things through the roof. Because things move so quickly, sometimes it can be, you know, difficult to see beyond the next couple of quarters because you're so intensely focused on that. And there's a lot to be said for being hyper focused, laser focused on the immediate deliverables, um, you know, in front of you. That being said, I think without, uh, you know, it, it would it would be uh, naive to suggest that there isn't some very, very structured long term planning going on behind the scenes. Of course, there is. Without that, um, yeah, without that, there would be uh, you know, structural challenges, I think so. I'm possibly providing a bit of a politician's answer, but I'd say um, how about how about look at both? I think that's your route to success.
3: I, I think Richard is obviously a bit later stage than we are, so we're earlier stage, and so I think of this more as like directionally. We can plan directionally, um, but we won't know exactly what will happen in the market until we launch the products. We get the consumer feedback. Um, and we have more data to be able to analyze and um, iterate on the model, um, you know, but whether it be investors, partners, they're all going to ask, like every insurer that we talk to, um, they're going to want to know what projections are. So you can't, you know, avoid long-term planning, but, um, you know, we are quite, um, you know, open with them in terms of um, where we're at and how we think we'll pivot the model in order to optimize conversion, in order to optimize the product set that we might um, cover, um, you know, I, I think when you have hardware, that is also probably another scenario where you probably need to do um, more planning and software. You can probably move a little bit faster, um, but you're still going to need a North Star. You're going to need a vision that you're driving towards.
1: That's really interesting, right? The North Star, that that vision that you're driving towards and, and building towards that vision is 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 always something that should be on your mind. Now, when you're when you're building towards a vision, um, you need some capital. And one thing that's on every entrepreneur's mind right now is how difficult has it been, or will it be, to raise capital um, in this current world that we're living in. And so, I think both of you have experience over the, or both of your companies have experience over the last couple of years raising capital. And so, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. On the difficulty of raising capital in in the time of Covid, and uh, whether entrepreneurs should wait till uh, you know, um, after uh, vaccines are are created and and or sorry, are um, uh, uh, widely available to start thinking about uh, raising capital.
2: I, I guess I'd say and and this is a this is a key message, really. you know, listen to the market listen to your customers uh, you know if you can address if you if you can address their needs then um, then there's a place for you right and, and that would be that would be tied into the investment piece i think what happened at the start of the pandemic, you know, when it first kicked in, there was immediately, there were shockwaves, right, there were shockwaves globally, um, for for very good reasons. And so there was immediately, uh, you know, take back from, uh, you know, uh, anybody sort of considering uh, a major or a minor investment for for that matter. However, you know, once once things settled, I'll bring this back to something we've we've already touched on, which is, you know, the, the creative and innovative landscape that has been uh pushed to the fore as a result of covid and if there's a if there's a solution to be found people want to look to it so i would i would say you know don't don't be scared of the innovation in this times um in some respects we need it now more than ever and i think investors uh have and, and will continue to respond to that
3: for, for walnut we did raise uh sea ground um in the fall so we closed in november i would echo what richard suggested um, which was at the beginning, lots of uncertainty. People probably wanted to work on their own portfolio companies first before they wrote incremental new checks. Um, you know, once it was the fall, it was much more open. Um, and one of the advantages uh, of fundraising during the COVID period um, is actually travel. You, you can fundraise with a lot less travel because everybody's doing um, Zoom calls. So you can reach uh, potential investors that maybe you would otherwise not have had a chance. Um, to chat with. Um, you can certainly chat with more investors. And I actually think um, the investors are more open to you know cold discussions and people just ping them on LinkedIn or AngelList or whatever it, that might be. I mean, uh, when it was the lockdown, what are they going to do? They're sitting at home anyway, so they might as well do another call here or there. It doesn't hurt them um, nearly as much. Um, that being said, it's harder to develop maybe some of those personal relationships um, where you can, you know, go in and shake their hand. Um, so the introductions might be easier. Some of the closes might be a little bit harder. Um, but net net, I think it's actually a good time to go out and fundraise. There's been a lot of IPOs recently. The stock market has, uh, you know, recovered and done really well. So it feels like there's enough, you know, capital floating around. Um, you know, as an angel investor on the side myself, I've also um, gone in after the initial period, started cutting checks in the fall. Um, so it feels like it's very doable, and if you have a, a business that you know fits the time that helps answer this question about you know why now, um, you know, I think there's more capital available than arguably ever before.
1: More capital available than ever before. That's that's so interesting for for this time of um, you know lockdown and, and being at home, and yet people are people are making sure that businesses are funded and and investing in new technologies. Um, and we've seen that throughout our practice uh one of the things that i want to ask you about you know my role as, as a lawyer and at a law firm and and i think a lot of uh, our listeners are lawyers is what can we do as lawyers at, at law firms to help entrepreneurs um, grow their businesses um, succeed faster um, and, and hit the market faster
3: Um, I I can start on that. I think, you know, we got started during this uh, COVID period. So we've worked with McCarthy's from the beginning. Um, You guys have been a huge help. I think this notion of being remote first um, also applies to the vendors we're working with and the responsiveness and sort of the you know quick changing pivot centric startup culture um, and being able to match that to what traditionally might have been thought of as like a slower legal process. And I would say even more so in regulated industries uh, like insurance. Um, you, know, you guys have the expertise um, in house, both from a traditional corporate law perspective, but also this regulatory piece is super important. Um, so for us, it's been a huge lift off of our shoulders to be able to lean on that and be able to have um the responsiveness and you know i know depending on who we're talking to i, I would say we communicate through multiple channels whether that be you know text email phone calls zoom um i think uh just being able to hop on to a quick you know 15 minute zoom call for instance um here and there instead of having to you know book an hour meeting drive and meet in person um in this era makes a lot of sense and um i've been really happy with the service that i've been providing
2: 'll I'll jump in and add to that and in, in terms of in terms of more broadly speaking um the support that could be provided while working in the the tech sector the innovation sector everything's cutting edge everything is brand new and uh, you know yesterday it wasn't anymore right so things move so so quickly um, that I think you know the the value of um, you know highly experienced uh, legal team that is abreast of the changes but more than that, can be one step ahead of them uh, to be able to uh, to to really front load the potential challenges um, that could arise in terms of a very very, uh, you know, dynamic is a word that gets thrown around a bit too liberally. But this you know this, this this truly is a dynamic space, the tech sector, the innovation world that we operate in. Um, so having the legal support that is able to to get ahead of uh, potential issues and challenges, and you know, we've been uh, we've been thrilled with the support that we've had from uh, from McCarthy's as well on that front, and operating in some, uh, you know, some unique and, uh, and and uh, novel uh, ways uh, together has been uh, very, very
3: productive. And both. And, and even on um, you know Richard's note earlier about partnerships, I know that's something that you know we've worked together on. And having that network and being able to make introductions is like you know super helpful. Um, you know, partnerships, like very much like fundraising, I think this is an era where you can go and reach out to partners that maybe otherwise uh, would be more hesitant to, to take your call. But if you have a warm introduction. Um, those partnerships accelerate a lot more easily.
1: You know, both of you come from very regulated spaces, very regulated but uh, industries that are ripe for disruption. And so the last question I have for you, if you could leave our audience with one takeaway after building businesses in regulated spaces, disruptive businesses in the time of COVID, what would that be?
2: You le- listen, listen to your customers, listen to the market. Um, what we're seeing in COVID right now, uh, as far as we're concerned, um, and I recognise we're, we're, I'm speaking here for for a specific space, but what we're seeing here isn't going to go away anytime soon. It's it's been it's been well established, and we expect the trends that we're seeing in the retail space, in the e-commerce space, in terms of uh, how consumer needs have evolved, to stick around. Um, so I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from how industries right the way across the board have pivoted and responded to this and um, and how the consumer needs that have changed as, uh, changed as a result of the pandemic will uh, continue to last. So again, it's watch the market, watch your customers listen to their needs acutely. And if you can respond to them, there truly is a place for you.
3: On the Walnut side, you know, I, I think it sort of ties in nicely with that as well. Like we think of ourselves very much as a partner business and there's different types of partners right so um, from a regulatory perspective um, you know there's certainly the you know the government and the regulators that are partners the consumer is a partner the insurers are partners Um, and when everything is changing so quickly the partners all have different needs so like we feel, feel very much like we can help different partners solve different needs even though we're out to you know quote unquote disrupt the market we're actually Um, trying to help them reach new consumers, for instance, on the insurer side. Um, And partners are are more open, and I think Richard mentioned it earlier as well. Um, There's an opportunity to accelerate some of these discussions. Um, So how can you work with partners to help them solve their newfound problems during this COVID era? Um, And how do you go and reach out to more customers like that? that would be open to partnerships that maybe before would have you know, dragged their heels a little bit more. Um, now, you know, the it's a loving, level playing field. Like everybody can have a conversation with anyone. Um, it's just a Zoom call away.
1: You know, I've taken away a number of different um, thoughts from this conversation, but I think my top three would be, you know, listen to your customer needs, look at your industry pain points and uh, look for, uh, areas where you can create strategic partnerships so so thank you so much for for bringing those you know three big uh, big uh notions to light for me and and i look forward to working with both of you and your companies um over the next few years and and look forward to seeing you succeed and grow thanks guys
2: thanks so much thank you
0: Richard Steiner is head of policy and communications at GATTEC, and Derek Sito is the co-founder of Walnut. They were in conversation with Alia Ramji, a partner at McCarthy Tatro and the co-founder of MT Ventures. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is produced by the incomparable Chloe Thomas. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Judith McKay, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, Kat Cleon, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tatro. Not literally here, of course, but you know what I mean. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. You can also find lots more content on our firm's COVID-19 Recovery Hub, which you can reach from the main page of our website at www.mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening, and please wash your hands.